This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Stuart Singer is a performance psychologist who has worked with U.S. men's national team and MLS soccer players, as well as USA basketball team members and Olympic gold medalists. His work focuses specifically on the how in the development of mental skills needed for his athletes to regulate their emotions and their attention in high-performance environments. This conversation provides great insight into the minds of professional athletes, but I made sure to steer the conversation back to the youth soccer and specifically what coaches can do in their own environments that are often less than ideal. So in this episode, you will get insider stories from a professional practitioner. You will get ideas for developing trust and better relationships with your players, and you will get practical advice on how to manage your own unique environment. Stuart is also the creator of Well Performance an online sports psychology training platform. And you can find links to Stuart's work as well as links to Well Performance and all of his social media accounts so you can connect with him by visiting 343coaching.com and finding the write-up portion for this podcast. And this podcast is supported and funded by the members of the 343 Premium Coaching Education Program. 343 are the proven leaders in possession-based soccer coaching education in the United States. 343 is basically an online university that has already helped thousands of coaches reduce their trial and error time and get right to the work that matters. Our courses are the culmination of years and years of Brian Kleiben's own learning and trial and error process. Gary Kleiben, a university professor by day, then organized years worth of actual training and match footage into a simple to use online platform with one goal in mind to help you streamline your development and become a better coach. The 343 Coaching Education Membership will guide you through developing a clear vision for your team, choosing the right activities to bring your vision to life, and then helping your team play better soccer. You don't need 100 or 1,000 drills in your library. Actually, we've narrowed ours down to just a small set, and we share them all with you in the 343 Membership. Because your time is precious, and there is no sense in wasting it. Our membership program is like getting a head start. We show you exactly what we learned doing our own trial and error process. So all you have to do is go to the field and start executing. Thousands of coaches have already taken advantage of this head start. So don't get left behind. You can learn more about the 343 Coaching Education Program and learn about how you can support this podcast by visiting 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 343coaching, all spelled out, dot com. All right. I hope that you enjoy this episode of the 343 Podcast with Stuart Singer. John. Stu, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, just a, a PSA. We're we're recording. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So okay. So we're jumping on it now. We're doing it, dude. <laughs> oh, all right. Okay. I, I I thought we were just gonna hop on a call to to touch base, but okay. I'm no. I'm ready to go. Let's uh let, yeah, let's go for I, it, man. I can go on the fly. 
<laughs> All good. Yeah, it's it's funny. Most of my interviews are are like that. They're they're just kind of on the fly. I have a lot of um, curiosity, I guess is a good way to put it, and and I like to ask questions about people that are doing different things in the soccer world. And so I feel yeah. like it's more of a natural conversation if we don't do pre-interviews or if I don't do pre-interviews. And some of my worst interviews have been the ones that I, you know, I've spent hours and hours preparing for and I have 50 questions that I want to ask, but it, I hear you. I actually, I like what you're saying. Um, I like it better that way. I love to just dig into it and wherever it goes, it goes. And, um, and I also don't like when it feels real, like scripted. So, so I'm in, I'm all in. Yeah. Scripted is a, is a good way to put it and just basing it off of my, my, my brief time in the media world, which sounds weird. I do consider myself like a, a member of the media at this point. Um, okay. but, but, but my, my brief time in that I see, and, and I can kind of dissect what is and isn't scripted much better than I was able to before. And so when I watch stuff on ESPN or Fox, it's like, Jesus, like I, I understand the work that went into this and mm -hmm. I under, I, I understand the message that you guys are trying to craft and sell and, and, and those types of things. And I understand how fake it is and it, it's, it's bad, yep. man. It's bad. Sure. Yeah, no, I'm, that, that works for me. I love just kind of, uh, this stuff is all a passion. Uh, of mine. So, you know, I literally can go in a million different directions with it and, and I love it just to discuss it. So I'm, I'm ready. I'll, I'll Absolutely. go any direction, you know, at all. Cool. Well, let's, uh, let me, let me kind of intro with how you and I are, are connected to some of the mutual, mutual connections, I guess. So yes. I recently interviewed Tiffany Weimer and, Tiffany, for whatever reason, I don't know how this is, is, is happening, but is opening a lot of doors for me. Not necessarily her, but, you know, just there, there's a lot of, um, uh, like there, there's a lot of connections between her and the guests that I've recorded with recently and, and you being yeah. one of those. Um, yeah. And, yep. and I know that you have provided a, a little bit of, um, of your services with Tiffany's Duke Dig brand and yeah. worked with her in Adelaide and, and I'm not sure actually who else is on, on the Duke dig team, but, um, but I, I do know pretty, it's those pretty, two. pretty much it. I mean, it's those two. And then, and then a lot of people who are peripheral, um, you know, kind of supporters slash, you know, uh, you know, then, you know, they, they ran the Duke dig brand, uh, brand, um, FC group, but they're not employed by their, their, their promoters of, Got it. Got it. So, so tell me a little bit about what you do and, and maybe the services that you offered Tiffany and Adelaide and, and how you've kind of become part of this soccer world that's, that's happening uh, here in America. Well, so I am a performance psychologist um, and I legitimately work uh, in, you know, in, in high performance settings uh, with with players that are at a high level or and or teams that are at, at a high level. Um, and also, uh, I also have, you know, private practice where I work with any, you know, with athletes down to middle schoolers, depending upon, you know, 
what what they have going on. But but the reason I say it as performance psychologists is it's very much that it is literally about the performance mind, what happens under stress and pressure and how can we get better um, at handling that? Because the reality is, is that any of us, regardless of whether we are an athlete um, a coach, a teacher, a parent, um, it, working in the business world, we all must perform with stress and pressure. It's part of life. And so, um, so that's what I do. Um, Tiff and I got connected through, um, a mutual, uh, a player that she, um, that I know that played with her. And I think actually they were roommates with the, uh, with the Boston breakers, um, who I was introduced to by, um, by one of my other clients, Kevin Rowe from the, uh, from the New England revolution. And so, you know, uh, as, as you're finding out or not finding out, you know, this, but as, as you you mentioned before is like the soccer world, the soccer communities, uh, super small and super connected. And, you know, I think everybody's looking out for one another to a certain extent, or if they find people that they trust and, and like, they're, they're happy to, to pass those names on or connect those people. Um, and so that's how I got connected with them. And then obviously Tiff introduced me to, to Addy. Um, and, you know, and we did, you know, we just did similar work and my, approach is very much that I am a coach. Um, so if you think about, um, four performance pillars, you have the, the technical, tactical, physiological, and psychological. And so I just consider my coach, I'm a coach of the psychological and, and, you know, if you're going to perform at a high level, you need actually all of those four pillars to be pretty strong. Um, and so my work is skill-based, um, I'm going to introduce skills. I'm going to ask you to work on them. Um, we're going to do feedback. We're going to do correction. We're going to do it again, you know, um, and, and I just see it like that. And I think with the majority of the players I work with, it just fits. That's like, that's how they understand performance. That's how they understand, um, getting better because that's what they've been used to their entire life. Um, and so it just works. Uh, and, and that's what we do. What type of skill would you introduce to a player? I'm really curious about this. So, you said that you give them a, a, a skill or maybe a task, yeah. and then and then you yep. you work on it. So, what does that look like from from your end? So, I am, you know, everybody has their approach and kind of their their theoretical um, structure, and so before I even get to the skill portion of it, I discuss a little bit of the science of the brain and in particular science of the brain under, you know, extreme circum, you know, kind of extreme competition. And I think one of the most under uh, misunderstood uh, things about, um, you know, athletes at a high level is that some for some reason because they have a high level of skill that that means they must also be gifted in the mental aspect and those are not in any way connected now some is just hey i picked this up over the years or hey I, this was something that kind of came naturally to me i had a very you know i was able to have just a short memory and move on to the next thing um but i would tell you that the majority don't 
that that they actually need to learn like oh this is what the brain does so the very first part is that i talk about it and what i talk about actually is that the the uh the fear center the emotion center of the brain which is known as the amygdala um is the fastest and most powerful part of your brain because at the brain's core, all it's trying to do is keep you alive. The survival instinct is the most powerful instinct that we have. And so at one point that meant predators and finding food and shelter and water and things like that in order to survive. And if anything stood in your way of that, then then that fight or flight mechanism, you know, would happen. But now and in competition, that can sometimes mean, am I getting minutes? Am I in the starting 11? Am I, um, you know, at some point, not just in the starting 11, but am I a major, you know, contributor? You know, hey, sorry about that. Hey, sorry. I think that a message popped up saying call failure. So that might have been my fault. I don't know. I don't I don't know. I don't know what happened. Uh, So Um, the last thing I heard was um, becoming part of the starting 11 and then becoming a major contributor and then it cut off. Yeah. So the point being is that we're always in thrive mode. We want to thrive as a species and we're really good at it. Um, But the reality is if a coach gets on you, if somebody tells you you're not good enough, if you get pulled from the starting 11, if you, you know, if you don't play the position that you potentially won, if you just happen to have a bad game and it just feel like you let your team down, all those things can be a sign of not thriving and or you know, danger as the mind, um, sees it and it can trigger the, the fight or flight response and, and, and performance-based anxiety. And so that's really so much of the core of what I'm working on. So a, just teaching athletes about this is what's going on. You're not weak. You're not bad. You're not soft. You're not this, you're not that this is the science and there is really no way of getting around it. You, you don't want to not have the survival instinct in you um, because at times it's the absolute thing that saves you from, from doing something really stupid or dangerous. So, and, and even if you didn't want it, it's impossible to get rid of it. It's there. So, um, and it's hardwired. And, and then the second part then becomes understanding the concept of awareness because the brain is in nonstop scan mode and that scanning is almost always for how do I continue to thrive? So if I did something wrong, it will often stay in the wrong. I got called out. I made some mistakes. I, you know, and, and why did I do that? And it stays stuck in that because that's the danger spot for the brain. Or it can get move into forward thinking, future thinking, prediction mode, which is, oh, my God, what happens if it happens again, which is kind of a stress slash anxiety type of feeling. And and so that's really what the brain wants to do. So if you don't want to experience those things, you have to work on how do I regain my place of attention? What do I want to give my attention to? So that then turns into our skill work, which is what are the things that, you know, so instead of paying attention to these negative things or these things that I, you know, beat myself up about or that I'm fearful will happen again or don't want to have happen, how do I learn to pay attention to things I do want to have happen? And how do I go after those over and over again? And when my mind 
drifts away from those things or gets pulled off course because I did have a bad touch because I did make a bad a play, a bad ball. Uh, what happens then and how do I bring it back? And so that's the skill work that we do. Um, and so, you know, um, basic things that we talk about is uh, best self. Uh, so best self would be what are the things, what are the actions and behaviors that you have some control over that you want to see and pay attention to over and over again. Those are the things that make you you. And, and so those are the things that you want to give your attention to. And then, um, and then we do something that I call mindset workouts, which are basically um, based in mindfulness meditation. So it's a form of understanding how to bring your attention back over and over again to a very specific place. Um, and the more you do it, the brain is capable of becoming uh, basically elastic. It can change. And um, because of that, you can get better and better at the ability to bring your attention to what you want to give it to, which again would go back to that best self. Um, so that's the, you know, in a, in a way quick and in a nutshell, <laughs> the majority of what we do. Uh, so does that make sense? I guess it, it does. And what I'm kind of seeing is that there's, and maybe you can tell me if this is a fair assessment or not, that, it's almost like walking a, a fine line between being a mentor and then being like uh, like an actual coach and and i think i think there's a difference between those two but but maybe you can maybe you can correct me is, is that is that a fair assessment between or from from my standpoint yeah i mean it's funny because i i have never i've never actually given that concept thought but for sure i think when my when the practice is at its absolute best, when I'm, when I'm, when I know that I've, that we're, we're doing well as a, as a coach and, and, and client or coach and athlete, it's when the relationship part of it is, is what you just kind of said, that trusting level of, of mentorship and, and belief in what we're doing and why we're doing it. And that there's real, true like i care i i will say this once i start working with a team or or an individual i'm all in uh, and i'm committed to them and i'm invested and and i really try to make sure that that's there i i don't, I don't i'm unapologetic about my investment uh and my care that when people that i work with are doing well i'm stoked and i'm fired up and um and, and I think they feel that, that the idea that I actually care about you, the person. And, and so in, in a weird way, the sport becomes secondary because what I really want is them performing in this, in this space where they feel good. Um, and which does not mean that they're always getting the results they want, by the way, but they just know now how to, how to make the experience better. And typically when we're in a place where we, the experience is good, we start to become that better version of whatever we are and, and whatever skill set that we have is more likely to be able to come out. And, and so that's really ultimately my, my focus. It's not to say, well, I'll make you a starter or I'll make you an all-star or I'll get you that national team call up. That's, that's out of my control. It's out of the player's control, quite frankly. Um, but what I can say, I'm going to really, do everything in my power to do is help you become the best version of you 
that you can be. And if that's good enough, then these other things are going to happen. You know, those other outcomes are more, more likely at least. When I put my coaching hat on and I, I think about what you just said, there was a moment and I can't remember exactly how you said it, but you said that everything else kind of becomes secondary and what you were working on becomes primary. I, I, I feel like is, is the way I remember, remember hearing it. And if I put my coaching hat on, that scares me thinking that, you know, the soccer, the soccer aspect is not, <laughs> is not primary. And, and so yeah. what, what my brain immediately started to think of is how do you not necessarily sell this to coaches because I don't, I don't want you, I don't want it to sound salesy, but like, yeah. how do you get coaches to buy into, to the work that you do? So when I say secondary, I mean that here's the simplest way I can kind of try to explain it is that outcomes are out of our control. I don't care who we are, uh, you know, Bill Belichick, the, the outcome is out of his control. Um, and Nick, you know, Nick said, you name the biggest coaches in the world right now, and they're not going to tell you I control the outcome. Yeah, man. Give it, so give us a soccer, could, give us a soccer reference. No more football. <laughs> yeah. So Jurgen, Jurgen Klopp is, is one that if you read, um, you know, a lot of his stuff, he's definitely connected with these, um, uh, Pep is another that's very connected with the idea of, of, of outcomes are not our, our focus. Um, even though at the end of the day, outcomes are everything, right. Especially at that level. Uh, you know, I mean, you can be the coach of the year one year and then, and then, and fire the next based on outcomes. So they are, but, but, and so this is the simplest way I can say it is that while those things matter, they're just a worthless place for attention. So if I said to you, blue eyes mattered, but you have brown eyes, you will never change your eyes to blue, right? So you don't control that outcome. Or if you let do it a different way, if you wanted a blue eyed child, <laughs> but that that's not for you to do. You know, you might want that, but it's not. But what's the rest of it? How do we raise the child just because, you know, quote unquote, a blue eyed would be better, which I'm totally making up, obviously. But <laughs> that's not that's actually out of our control. So if that's the part that you're focused on, you're always going to be chasing something that you don't control here. When I say this, the, these are the primary things. Look, if you are someone who who is like, look, I'm I'm technically sound, but I'm not you know, I'm not going to be the the most technically sound, but here's what I am. I will run all day. If, if I happen to lose the ball, I will track back and I promise you I'll defend and do everything I can to win the ball back. I always make really hard, decisive runs so that even if I don't get the ball, it somebody's got to mark me because of the way that I make my run. Like those things matter. <laughs> and, and if we give our attention to those things and we do those for 90 minutes, I'm not telling you that you can control the outcome. What I am telling you is you are most likely to get at least closer to the outcomes you want by doing that. If you make a run and you don't get the ball and you made a hard, you're screaming for it. It was a demanding type of run and you don't get the ball and you try it again. You do the same exact thing. And on the third one, you're like, F it. I'm not getting the ball. I'm not making the run. 
I promise you, you're a worse version of yourself. You're a worse player at that very moment because your mind allowed you to say, I'm not going to be the best version of me. When you work with a player like Kellen Rowe and somebody that's part of a a professional team, a, a professional organization like New England Revolution and, and obviously they have, you know, resources well beyond what most American soccer coaches that are listening to this podcast right now have. How, how do you work with the player one-on-one and how, how does that translate to Kellen's or whatever player? Um, how, how does that translate to their, their team environment when you work on stuff individually? Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's, it's absolutely wonderful. And other time, I mean, and I won't go too deep into anything that I do with any individual player, but I can kind of give a more way generic answer about the concept of working with an individual player and not with their organization is it is sometimes a blessing, um, and, and a curse in, in a way, um, the the blessing side of it is is that i don't have to deal with any of the the um drama or the <laughs> or the or the other stuff that's that's when i say i don't have to deal with that i'm not hearing it i'm not in the middle of it the way i am when i'm with an organization or a team um the other end of it is that the curse side of it is is that you know then we're just dealing with this kind of fragmented part of the whole picture. And I don't have an influence on the environment in a, in a best case scenario. What I truly love is the, uh, is the ability to work with the environment. How are we changing and, and growing more? I'm just probably more specific and, and of what I want to do. How are we growing the environment to actually be teaching a lot of the, the topic area, the subject area, right in the middle of practice. Like if you ask a player, how do they like to do fitness? Do they like to get on the line and just start running and running and running? Or would they rather do fitness where, yeah, we're, this is fitness, but th- there's a ball involved. And they're always going to you know, prefer the, the fitness with the ball involved, where there's a game of some sort that's either taking their mind off it, period, or it's just more like that's fun that's why we play right and and so in a perfect world for me i like to think that if i can influence the coaching staff if i can help train the coaching staff to understand this stuff at a deeper level that there are like true fundamentals and they just do them they don't say hey we need we're going to do this separate session where it's about the mind but we're just you know they, they don't talk about it at all they just are doing them then the players automatically are just now swimming in this sea of good psychological fundamentals. And that becomes who they are and what they, what they think as well. And, and then it's really great when you can then can have an athlete, you know, one of the players that you're working with and they're diving even deeper into these things. And they're saying, yeah, let's work on this. Let's do it once a week. Let's do some things where you give me some assignments and I spend 10 minutes, 15 minutes uh, a day and and get even better at these things and so that's the the perfect combination um you know uh, but if but if you're not working with a group then then you just work one-on-one with the player and you you kind of understand where the player's coming from and and certainly because i work with 
a lot of teams, it gives me the opportunity to know the other side of the, you know, to, uh, of the coin. So if a player is telling me something while I, you know, I'm, I'm certainly going to, I'm working with their experience period, but I'm also going to have times where I'm like, well, are you really sure that that's why they're saying what they said or they're doing what they did? Cause you know, you also have to make sure that, be, that, that they're kind of being, uh, truthful and honest with themselves about why something might be going on. If a player's unhappy about playing time and, and they're like, ah, the coach hates me. Well, do they? Like, that's what, that's what it is. They just literally don't like you, but you could help <laughs> them win, but they're going to not play you because they just don't like you. And, you know, let's think this through. And, and you know, who knows? Maybe there are times where it's absolutely true. It's, so it's such a personality conflict that, that yeah, maybe that's the case, but, more often than not, there's more to it than that. An observation I've had as a spectator and then a coach that's always trying to to dissect the the environments that I'm watching, and like if I go and I watch a, a pro team train, for example, yeah. something that I, I frequently observe is kind of like a... I don't want to say like a, like a power struggle, but you know, everybody needs their time with, with the team and with the athlete. And when I say everybody, like every department, so, you know, the, mm, the, yeah. the, the sports scientists, the, mm -hmm. the, the physios, the coaches, mm -hmm. not, and, and, and the coaches in, in different levels too. So like the assistant coaches tend to, you know, run the earlier part portions of, of the training sessions. And then the head coach, sometimes steps in and, and runs the bulk of it or the end of it. And then mm -hmm. you have the recovery guys, you have the nutritionists, mm -hmm. you have the mm -hmm. sports psychologist, mm -hmm. and you have these people, this massive team of people at the pro professional level <laughs> that are all fighting for minutes in these, in, in these 24 hour days with, with these athletes. That's, that's overwhelming almost for an athlete, <laughs> yeah. but how, how, how how does that even work? Like, there's so many different ways you, I, I could ask this question, but I kind of just want to like end the thought there and hear you talk about it. Yeah, it's such a cool question. I appreciate you thinking about that because it is a battle sometimes, and you do you do feel that. You know, I think that the one thing in a team environment, and it's true of the player. You know, so first and foremost, when you talk to players, majority of the time, everybody that plays a team sport just wants to feel like they're having an impact on the success of the team. Like rarely do I have anybody that comes in and says, I need to be the star. Like I need that, that, that I, I must be. It's, it's more like, and that, and they still, they could be the star and they feel like they're not living up to it. So it, it's not always, it, it's, it's more about, am I making the impact I feel I can make? And I think what happens is, is that we as coaches, are, you know, a, you know, you have that at one point you were probably an athlete. And so you have that kind of innately in you and or burned into you over the years. And then in the environment, you feel that. So you want to have an impact. If you're a nutritionist, you want to be like, yeah, they're, they're bought into my nutrition plan. You know, like everybody wants to have that, that feel because that's what it means to be a part of a team. Right. And and, and you really do, I think, have to you have to work with the other professionals uh, that are that are on the staff and, and you have to work with the players and you you have to, you know, learn, you know, most of the players, you'll you'll you start to learn how they want to do things more. Um, 
meaning do you, you know, are they willing to, to get in before a practice? Are they willing to stay later after a practice? How long after a practice? Some are willing to do it, but they're not going to wait around for, you know, two hours after a practice. Can it be in the first, you know, half hour, hour after practice? Um, and then, and then it becomes, well, can we do it, you know, later tonight? I'm, I'm lucky that I do a lot of my work actually through FaceTime or Skype or, you know, whatever. Um, so sometimes athletes would go back to their place and, uh, and, and call me through FaceTime. And, and so they can get back, take a shower, get something to eat, whatever. And, and we'll do it later in the afternoon. So, um, so sometimes I'm super fortunate that mine happens to be relatively flexible. Um, and then, man, I've had times where, uh, it's summertime. Let's go paddleboard and, and go out, go out on a lake and paddleboard. And while we're paddleboarding, we talk, you know, and it's an off day, uh, but it's something to do and, and whatever, let's go grab coffee. Let's, let's, you know, so there are definite, uh, ways in, in particular for me, because I don't need the facility in order to do what I have to do. And hearing you talk about that and then the, the thought of having, uh, you know, an entire staff, that that can control every aspect of uh, you know a professional athlete's you know day to day schedule mm-hmm. and, and operation leads me back to the fact that there are very few professional coaches that listen to this podcast and the people listening are are more than likely running everything by themselves and and yeah and it's not as frequently talked about as it probably should be about how important that job is for you know the 13 14 15 year old boys or girls uh club coach and 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 the impact that that coach is going to have on those players and really the lack of knowledge that they have in or sorry not like lack of expertise that that one coach has in all of those different fields that that you know those players uh, require to to become high level performers. So how how can a coach of a you know 12 13 14 year old team that works by themselves mm-hmm. how can a coach accomplish all of this stuff maybe in a in a just a slightly better way? Like what are what are maybe some tips that you you can give coaches like that? Yeah. Yeah, um the biggest recommendation I would, I mean, like the first place to start would be to take a breath and, and own the fact that it, it would, it's so hard to wear every hat and be an expert. So like, don't, 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 don't shoot for that right off the bat. Allow yourself to, to think of it in terms of a, of a little bit of a process and a journey. Um, but what I would say is, is that, you know, again, if you th- like first and foremost, understand the four performance pillars and and really do your homework on those so you know the majority of coaches get into coaching any sport because they played it and and so they're going to probably feel most comfortable in the technical tactical aspect they you know they they were trained a certain way um certainly i think one of the beauties of soccer actually in this country and, and it's funny because on a national level obviously we're we're still you know clearly behind most of the world, but yet at the youth level, I would say to you that the licensing licensure um, and courses that youth soccer coaches are, are doing is, is way more than the rest of our sports. 
like there is nothing for that for basketball. There's nothing like that for football, for baseball. Like they are our quote unquote major sports that we probably dominate the world. Certainly, let's say basketball, where it's a world sport, we dominate. And yet anybody can coach without any there's not a course that they have to pass. And so so, you know, first and foremost, I will tell you that our coaches, I think, do have some good resources at kind of uh, i mean we can always get better but they have some good resources that they can lean on and really start to understand beyond the technical tactical i i feel like too often we get um we get so overwhelmed by that and it makes sense but remember that there are these other pieces and and you know start to read up start to do webinar seminars when you go to a you know a, a national convention um you know, make sure that you that you do one of the breakout sessions with um, with one of the uh, uh, strength and conditioning coaches that might be presenting. Make sure you go to one of the sports psych um, breakout sessions at, at the convention at, at least and, and start to build your knowledge in all four pillars. I think we um, and I say this across the board with all sports is that we. We probably overtrain the body and undertrain the mind. And in some ways we're behind with that because or have it backwards because nothing happens without the mind. The brain literally has to send signals to the body to move and 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 where the ball's gonna go and to make decisions and things like that. So if we're if we're too overwhelmed and consumed by only the, the physical aspects of the game, whatever that sport might be then we're missing this really big component. Um, and, and without it, it's, it's going to really be hard to perform at the highest level that we can perform at. I liked what you said about, you know, when coaches are, are, are seeking out those other educational opportunities, like take the opportunity to go watch the breakout session about strength and conditioning and, and whatever. Right. And that reminds me, of how important it is to always be seeking out other learning yes. opportunities and, yeah. and and finding things that fit with your philosophy. You don't necessarily need to, you know, be revolutionizing the way that you do things, yes. uh, you know, on a, on a quarterly basis. But as long as you're always on that pursuit of knowledge, as long as you're taking like one or two or three things per year and, and, and adding that to your toolkit, that's amazing. And coaches should always be, be trying to do that. And there's one yes. thing that has, has always kind of stuck with me is I, I went to a, a marketing conference, um, which is totally out of my element that I'm not, I'm not <laughs> in the business or marketing world. Why I am now, but, um, I wasn't then. And so completely out of my element, but one thing that we talked about while we were there and that I noticed when I got back was that just, just seeking out or going to that, to that conference, when I came back, I was energized. Like I wanted to get to work and, yes. and I feel like that's a byproduct of, uh, you know, seeking out or, or education just in general. It's like when you learn something and, and something kind of like lights a fire under you, well, you want to share it or you want to do it or you want to do it more. And, and, and that's a, a reason why I've always tried to 
push people, and I've mentioned it multiple times on this podcast, like you need to seek out learning opportunities. You need to seek out, you know, extra training sessions at your local college or other club team and, and go watch other coaches work and, and network. And those, it, it just gives you this energy that, that you can, it's just, it's just fuel, I guess, is, is a good way to put it, it. It's such a great, think about what you said. Like you went to something that was out of your, what did you call it? Your out of my element or comfort zone out of your element out of your comfort zone and if you think about it the reason it probably got to you like that was because when you do something that's out of your element that's that's the most learning that can happen because you don't know anything about it right if you go to something that you already feel you have a a, like uh, this is my element this is my thing you're going to pick up one thing maybe two but if you go to something that's totally out of your element, you're probably picking up 12 things or more that are like, oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. Now, you may not be able to implement all those right away, right? Like you have to be able to give yourself that room to say, all of that fired me up. All of that was new, but it, it was it was great because I got it. But which of these pieces can I start to use? I can't use all 12 because that's too much, right? But but when you step outside of something that's, you know, like you said, it's, it's, it's out of your element. That's where the most learning can happen. And if you relate it then back to coaching um, and what we expect from our young people that we coach, that's, isn't that kind of what, you know, we don't, you know, we, how much do we, you know, you have a player who's just like an amazing, they, they can just dribble through everybody. And you're like, that's great. But like you, your head goes down and you never find the open player. You never find your open teammate. Like you're a great dribbler, but you're a really poor passer. Like, don't we ask them to then develop that thing that's not their element? Isn't that what we always do as a coach? And so like those moments to me are big because once we begin to literally live the things that we expect of the young people that we're coaching, then the whole process becomes better because a, we just become better because we're doing it, but also we can relate to it. We can relay it to them. And we can also feel that feeling of what it feels like to get outside of your element and get outside of your comfort zone. And so when we're pushing a young person to do that, we're like, you know what, it is not that easy to get outside of your comfort zone. So I get that first bit of resistance that they're giving me right now and and how do i break that down and how do i shape this a little bit like those those things matter in the coaching process yeah that's it's and i think it comes with like a like a feeling of anxiety almost where where it's like once you do it then you're like oh man that, that wasn't even that bad but it's just like getting getting yourself to do that thing uh, yes. or, or to learn that thing, it, it's like a, it seems like a massive mountain where it's really just, you know, like a speed bump. So now, now take that full circle to when I was kind of walking through my process with, with the individuals that I work with, that's, that's it right there. Doing something that's out of your element creates prediction. Oh my God, what's going to happen? which is then anxiety stress producing, which is what the brain is supposed to do. It's, it's trying to tell you, Hey, this thing, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I've never been in this environment. I don't know this environment. It's doing its job. 
And that's exactly, so what you experienced there, what you described is exactly what you should have probably experienced. That's kind of what we do when we have an experience like that. And so by understanding that deeply, you can see it almost like, ah, that's what's happening right now. So my resistance right now is that, you know, fight or flight survival instinct thing that everybody has. Now, let me say, haven't I done these things before? Yep. Haven't they almost always turned out to be good experiences? Yep. Okay. Like, let's do this. But without that, like just that whole little process that I just mentioned, it can just feel like overwhelming slash anxiety and our natural reaction to those things is to not go in that direction. The example that I I work with more frequently now is on the business side and especially on the podcasting side. And a a resource that's been helpful for me is uh, Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art. Have you ever, are you familiar with it? No, that's cool though. I like yeah, the name. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so it's basically just like, it, it, and, and I haven't, I haven't finished the entire thing, so I probably shouldn't talk too much about it. But, uh, <laughs> but, but getting yourself, you know, to the point where where you can you can accomplish what you set out to do. So create creating art, basically, or cr- doing doing the work. And yeah. it's it's very similar to to what you were just what you were just talking about. And I believe that athletes and coaches would relate to the message that's in that book as well. So I don't recommend very many books on this podcast, but if I could recommend one, that, that's probably one. I love one. it. And now that you say that, I do remember, I don't know if I was reading a, you know, one of those in a, in a magazine where they recommend new books or I, I don't know what, but I do remember seeing that and thinking, wow, that's pretty cool. I, I like the name of it, obviously. And then, um, so I'll definitely check that out. Appreciate that. Yeah, and, and yeah, the the name the name is is actually pretty. I mean, it, it paints a pretty good picture. It's like the the war that you have with yourself to create. Like it, yes. it, it's a battle every single time when when you sit down to write that book or make that podcast yeah. or go to practice yeah. or write the session plan or. So let me connect that to a to a mass you know a massive point that that I try to um, get out there. I guess like is. That everything that I said, I'm, I'm assuming you were like, yeah, I get that. You know, like, like nothing that I, I talked about was was super complicated. Right. You know, makes it all makes sense. Yeah. But simple does not mean easy. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it is real work. And it like one thing that I would you know, make sure that coaches in particular understand, because I think it starts with the adults, whether it's coaches slash parents, when we're talking about youth sports is, you know, I'll get a request. Hey, will you come talk to the, to our team? And I always, you know, of course I will talk to the team saying that, what do you want to have accomplished by the end of this talk? Because if you think we're going to change actions and behaviors because I talked to a team for a half hour or 45 minutes, that's not going to happen because that's not the way. And like like changing habit and behavior might be one of the absolute most difficult things that we do as human beings. Like we're not good at that. And so the, the concept of that book is that it's always this challenge and journey. Like you don't just kind of like, ah, okay, I get it. I'm a, I, I create art. So I'm good. Like I've, I've figured it out. 
no, it's probably a battle even for the greatest artists, whether it's musicians or, or actors or, or, you know, painters is it's still a battle. Getting past that is not easy. It's always the fear. What if it doesn't happen this time? What if I don't, you know, I created this, this one great thing, but what if it doesn't happen again? And, and that battle of creating it and being, or being creative and thinking about things is, is sometimes daunting and, and it's going to start to trigger emotion. And if we don't get better at that part of it, of learning how to kind of see it and then manage it through understanding and then skills, it's actually pretty difficult. Um, even for people that you'd be surprised, you'd think, oh man, no, they got their, they got their shit together. And I'm not saying they don't have their shit together. They just don't know this stuff. And so they're really battling behind the scenes more than you would know. That's been an interesting, um, point for me, especially over the last four or five years is, is understanding or, or not, not even understanding, but just recognizing that I don't know what the other person or the player or the other coach or the referee is, is going through in their own mind and, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, mm -hmm. what it took for them to put their cleats on today or what it, what it took for them to, to do anything. Right. And so yeah. I've, I've, I've tried to become more, uh, appreciative and, and just aware of, of those, of those things that, that I don't know. And for me, it, it's been, it's, it's definitely a process because there's day, there's good days and bad days with that. Right. Like there's days where I just, I, I don't, I don't remember to step back and, and, and yeah. be aware of those things or appreciate those things. But then there's other days where, you know, I really, really feel like I connect with a player or with an assistant coach or another coach or even a podcast yeah. guest sometimes too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but, but every, but every time it's different. It's, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't even know where I'm going with this, with this thought anymore, but it's just, uh, <laughs> no, I get it, what you're saying. It's, it's, there's, there's something, have you ever heard of, um, either emotional intelligence and, or just emotional awareness? Awareness. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And, and I think that's what you're, you're kind of digging at there is like the people that are emotionally aware are aware of their own self. Like what are the things that, that trigger me basically and they're aware of other people like how you know are are they triggered right now how why are they triggered what's going on and i know that one i know my assistant you know i know the things or i know my players and and they have an awareness of others whereas some people just show up and they're like no everybody should be the same <laughs> and and which is ridiculous but yeah. you know like no you're here you should be the same like nothing should bother you nothing outside of the world you know outside of here should bother you blah 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 and it's just not like it's it's if you really take a step back and you take a breath and you're like no that doesn't make any sense in the world now when i'm working with an athlete or a team i will talk to them about ways of hey i get it that you're like you know if it's a if it's a student athlete like that your grades are suffering at the moment and you're really worried about it or you have a big tests or you know coming up and and or something's wrong in your family but when we come to practice like how do you put that aside because while you're here 
this is what you have control over. You don't have control over that stuff, whether it's your academics, you can't study while you're out on the field. So, so if your mind is kind of still there, then you're, you're not doing yourself any service in either of those places, right? Um, if your fan, something's going on with your family, same thing, like right here, right now for these two hours, you can't do anything for them. You can't solve whatever issues going on. So how do you learn to give your attention and focus? But it's not to say those things don't matter because they do. And, and in fact, I think when coaches try to insinuate that other things outside of their sport don't matter, they push the player further away because they're like, wait a second. No, my family does matter, right? My academics do matter. You know, if I broke up with somebody that matters, it's not, I'm, I'm a person, right? And it's the coach that understands that it matters that can put their arm around them and then help them get refocused and say, I hear you. And let's just, let's do what we can. Let's, let's, you know, let's really give everything we have right here, right now. And, and we'll get and the rest of this stuff we're going to take care of, or I'll help you take care of, or I'll, you know, talk to you after practice or whatever. But you, you know, you, you can connect those two things while teaching how to get co- focused and connected to what you're doing in the present moment. Man, that reminded me of the, of the Nigerian player in, in the 2018 world cup who was notified that his dad was kidnapped right before the game. Yeah. And, yes. and kept it from everybody. It's like the mental strength of that guy to, to go out there and play on the world's biggest stage when the most yes. devastating event just happened in, in his life. That, yes. that to me is uh, like that, that should be a case study that every, you know, school should be dissecting right now. Like that, how, yeah. how could that person do that? Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's a topic that I actually, I, not, not that I've, done any research on it at all um but i discuss a lot of times practically like how and and why and you know you hear often of these times where somebody does that and 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 not only do they do it but they end up performing extremely well and you're like how's that possible you know they just lost someone you know their parent died the night before that day and they end up going out and playing um and and how does that, you know, how, how do they do that? And there's, there's a, you know, the, the way that I frame it um, coming from the way that I, that I teach the mental aspects that I teach is that, you know, I'm, I'm way into playing what's called present. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, actually, that that's what you're fully engaged in. So you and I right now are, are doing this. So I need to be 100% with you. This is all that I'm doing. I'm not sitting here typing on my computer. I'm not sitting here thinking about, well, man, I got to finish this up so that I can get to something else. I'm thinking about this and this only. And so for me, that player and players that do that in those extreme emotional cases are that becomes their sanctuary. That becomes their safe place. This is something that makes sense to me. Let me go out and do this. I have no other, there is nothing else I can control about this situation. And so let me do this. Let me at least see what I can control within this environment, because this is something I I'm in right now. And that's how I would, you know, frame it and and teach it. um, If, you know, if I was working with one of those individuals. Wow, man. What a, what an unscripted conversation, huh? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't, I didn't anticipate talking about half of that stuff. Right. Right. Go anywhere with this stuff. 
Yeah, that's cool. Um, I, I, I want to ask you the question I always ask everybody to, to end the conversations and that, that question okay. or the question you can, you can take it and run with it however you want. But the question I always ask is what do people need to know? Themselves. That's a good answer. I, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, it, it, you know, this idea of emotional intelligence is all about understanding the self and the, the research in emotional intelligence was um, originally done on like, I want to say like 3,000, 4,000 of, of the, you know, kind of leaders in, in every walk of life, whether it be athletic leaders, whether it be coaches, whether it be school administrators, whether it be CEOs and military leaders and conductors of, you know, great orchestras, whatever, like, and, and they, and they just did a massive study. And, and what they came to is that the ones who were really, really good at what they did were highly, highly emotionally intelligent, very self-aware. They understood themselves they were they understood their strengths they understood their weaknesses they understood their impact on other people and they understood how other people impact them and i don't think you can do any of that if you don't understand yourself so yeah that's absolutely got to understand ourselves and i think that is a good message for coaches to hear too. It's like, just not, not only understand yourself, but be yourself as well. Like don't, don't try to be anything that you're not. And in, in coaching, I think the guys that are unapologetically themselves are some of the people that we, that we think of as being the highest performers. And and you mentioned Klopp earlier, Mourinho, um, Diego Simeone, like those guys are just unapologetically themselves and, yes. and they're, they, they know exactly what they have to offer and can bring to the table and that, and that's what they do. And, and, and they're, you know, perennial winners be, because of it. So, yeah, you know, coaching, I've heard this a million times. Coaching is a, uh, what is it? It's a profession of, of, of thieves, meaning that everybody steals. Right. Uh-huh. Um, but yet, you know, I 100% agree with what you're saying. And I say it all the time. It's, you know, trust is, is like everything in coaching. Like ultimately you can have all the X's and O's down, but unless the players trust you, you can't, you can't actually then do anything with it. Like the information's there, but they need to trust you and trust the system. And, and that comes with authenticity. So don't try to be another coach try to be the best you that you can be and be like unapologetically like you said um and over time they will begin to be able to trust you but if you try to be the personality of another coach because that coach has won but that's why they won not because of why you'll win those are two different things i 100 percent agree um all right where uh where can people find you or or find find ways to to learn more about any of these topics that that we talked about today um i am at well performance uh one word um on twitter and instagram uh my website is wellperformancecoach.com um 
And I, um, I don't think I mentioned this to you at all, but I also have a, an app um, that I created for athletes. Uh, the name of the app is Do So, one word, D-O-S-O. And it's in the uh, App Store for uh, Apple and, uh, I'm sorry, for iPhone and iPad. And, uh, and I also created an online training, um, sports psych training program that, that is basically what I wanted to do was create something that was accessible to, to youth coaches, so high school and or club coaches. So, you know, they don't have the resource to bring in, to, to fly me in and, and have me work with a team the way a university or a professional team might, um, but they, they value this stuff and they're like, Hey, I want to do this, but I don't know how, I don't know how to bring it to my team. And and so this was my, my creation of trying to bridge that gap. Awesome. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to make sure that I link to all that stuff in the show notes. So people will be able to find that, uh, very easily. And great. Thank you. I'd, yeah. I just want to say thank you for your time. This was, this was pretty funny. So I think we, we corresponded like three or four hours ago for the first time and then you know, rec- recorded our first conversation and, and then here we are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally I thought we were going to talk on the phone first. Uh, so, so here we are, but I, I, like I said, I, I actually love digging into this stuff and, and, and just it, so for me, it's, uh, it's awesome. I'm happy to do it. Right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast. And a big thank you to Stuart Singer for coming on the show. Kind of unexpectedly, it sounds like, from the start of the interview. But nonetheless, it was a great time chatting with Stu and getting to know about him and getting a little bit of insight into the world of performance psychology. And I hope that you guys enjoyed that. If you would like to find more episodes of the 343 Podcast or find out more information about the 343 Premium Coaching Education Program that actually helps to support and fund this podcast, you can visit 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 343coaching, all spelled out, .com. And that is where you can find our premium coaching program and also our free course. So there's a lot there to digest. And here is Tom Beyer to talk a little bit about his experience with taking one of our online courses. And I can tell you, after someone who's done a lot of coaches' education, both as a student as an instructor, that you will learn more by watching one or two of their videos that you might learn on any full-time course. Because the, the one thing that I like about what they're presenting is, again, it's simplicity, man. It's very simple. It's not a lot of, you know, complicated words. It makes sense. And it goes right directly to the heart of, of, of the game on, on, on how, to, how to develop, um, not just, you know, individual players, but develop teams as well. Once again, you can find all of the information about how to join one of our online courses and to help support and fund this podcast by visiting 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 343coaching, all spelled out, dot com. Okay, until next time, we will catch you guys here on the 343 Podcast. Thank you for listening.